Hi, Chris. Afternoon. How are you? Yeah, very well, Shabri. How have you been? Yeah, I've been great. Thank you. I've been great. I'm so excited to have you here as our, our inaugural guest. So thank you so much for um, for joining. Um, I'd love to get an introduction to you because you, you're the first person that popped into my mind for today's topic that we're going to be covering. Um, but before we do that, um, we're going to have some um, some new people who are who are joining. Um, so wanted to say hello from me. Um, my name is Shabri. Um, I'm I've been in the world of sales for 13 years now. Um, so really excited. Um, um, to, to be doing this podcast and talking to sales reps, sales leaders and sales experts. Um, but for, for anyone who hasn't heard of Casper, um, we exist to make lead generation easy, um, helping teams prospect more efficiently and more successfully. Um, but this podcast isn't about Casper. It's about providing content that is entertaining um, and really can help um, high performance sales teams. Um, so the goal is to provide value for anyone who's interested in all things sales um, to really help you become a better version of yourselves. Um, so before we dive into to today's topic, um, uh, Chris, it'd be lovely if you could um, introduce yourself briefly. Yeah, sure. So Chris Atfield, founder and coach of Sales Psyche. Uh, we work with sales and commercial teams to create healthier and high-performing minds without the burnout. So a big focus for me is all around the mindset and, and mental health side of thing in sales. It's my background. It's it's what I started in and quite early on recognized I struggled a lot of anxiety which led me down that curious route of wanting to understand more about the psychology and mindset of, of who we are and how we operate. And as I went through my career, recognizing that there's a lot of training around skill set and so on in sales, but not really much around the mindset and mental well-being side of things. So just over two years ago now, setting up Sales Psyche uh, and loving every minute of it. And alongside that, speaking and, and, um, and starting to volunteer in a couple of universities and uh, a few other ways as well. Amazing. Well, I couldn't have thought of anyone better to be here today um, because we're going to be talking about um, the right mindset for success. Um, and a lot of what you've done um, is around that. And I know you've worked with, um, you know, a ton of companies in SaaS and in tech um, and most recently universities as well. So it's going to be really, really great to, to get your perspective. Um, so I guess just to, to kick off the, the conversation with, with a with a broad question, um, why do you think having the right mindset is important for for sales teams? I think mindset is the is the foundation um, for everything else that is built on it. You know, in sales, we talk about having the right conversation about our product, about with prospects, with colleagues. But if the conversation with yourself isn't the right one, then you can't really build on anything outside of that. And the conversation you have with yourself sets the tone for everything else around you. And and that conversation will often dictate that mindset. And of course, sales is is just like life, really. It's so much about mindset um, towards how you approach it with, of course, all the variables and all the things going from one day where you feel like you're on top of the world to the next day where you feel like I'm never going to be able to sell again or sell anything. What am I doing? Um, the mindset is so important there because it's not necessarily stopping those moments from happening, but it's being able to recognize when they do and bring yourself back to a, a neutral state. So you touched on something really key there, which I think for anyone who's in sales or has been in sales can relate to, which is, you know, you can be in that slump, you can have that down day. What's your advice to reps when they when they have had a bad day or they have lost a deal or it's the last day of the quarter and they haven't hit their quota? What, what do you advise teams there? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, it's, it's trying to get away from the mindset of 
there's no such thing as a bad day or a bad quarter in my mind. There's there's bad moments or bad situations. And rather than sort of generalizing things, which is a dangerous thing because it can almost like skirt over all the good stuff that you've done within that quarter or within that month or within that deal um, around it. But I think it's recognizing that, you know, I often talk about the kind of surfer mentality when I talk around this is, is recognize that some days you're going to feel like you're under a wave and some days you're going to feel like you're riding one, but wherever you are, you're not stuck there. And the key thing is to what often happens is when we feel like we haven't had a good quarter or we've lost a deal or we've, we've, we get to the end of the day or week and it hasn't been a good one is that we often focus on all the things we can't control. We often start thinking about the the things where, oh, you know what, the economy or what's going on right now or what this person did or he didn't show up for this and, and not really thinking about, well, what can I do within my control right now? And we often let our emotions like that stress and anxiety sabotages when in fact it's actually there to serve us. But the way we respond to it can cause us to feel like almost like that victim and that's what creates that sense of, helplessness and hopelessness i love that i love the surfer mentality i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna borrow that if, if that's okay um, yeah and just to build on that as well i mean you know it's thinking about whenever a surfer's on riding a wave they know how good the wave is it's, it's going to come down at some point and that's okay you can't always ride that wave and it's about being prepared and recognizing what you did to get onto that wave but recognizing when you do the longer you sort of linger on that the more time you'll spend on the water and the less likely you are to find the next wave that comes along so linked to that is not confusing that kind of happiness of excitement aspect of when those deals come in, when you have those feelings, there's a level of happiness there, but most of it's excitement and don't go chasing something that isn't really sustainable in the long run as having this kind of consistent high. Yeah. And, and just touching on that, actually, because I think a lot of people have this stigma that, you know, salespeople, big egos, arrogant. So when you are experiencing that high, what's the best way to to manage that and sort of manifest that into something positive for your ego. Yeah, I think it's it's reflecting, it's celebrating success, but then analysing it. I, mean, I love the All Blacks do this New Zealand rugby team, statistically the most successful sports team of all time. When they when they win those kind of big crucial matches, they'll actually come in early the next day and analyse it yeah. because they feel like they can learn more from their wins than they can from their losses. And it's very easy to get wrapped up in it and go, oh yeah, I've had a really good quarter, a really good month, a good week. But going, what was I thinking, feeling and doing or am I doing right now that's got me there? Yeah. It's very easy sometimes to almost pass it off as luck. Yeah. But of course, you've got to you've got to create your own luck. So it's it's being able to reflect on what you were doing, what you were thinking and what you're feeling. And the more you do that, the more when maybe that wave comes down, you know what you can control to get yourself back there. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I mean, we used to do win loss reviews on on deals. And actually, I think, you know, to your point, doing the ones that you lose were very helpful but actually doing the ones that win and actually sort of really getting granular with that success like I used to find I used to find fascinating um so when we talk about um sort of being in slumps you know whilst sales is an individual um role there's also a team aspect to it so you must come across teams all the time where you've got differing levels of sort of mindset and, and things in the team. And um, how do you approach it when you've got people in the team who've got a really positive mindset and then you've got people in the team that are in, in a slump? And I guess for those people who are tuning in, if they are in a slump and they are seeing a lot of people in the team with that positivity, that can often be quite hard. So, so what, do you, what do you see there, um, Chris? 
Yeah, I think first of all, it's it's drawing the line and, and making sure that doesn't go too far in terms of a level of toxic positivity where it's almost like fake and people can see or think you're just being positive for the sake of it because that in itself isn't healthy at all. And you know, if there is a if there is a situation going on within the business, everyone should be quite aware actually that mm, you know you might say everything's okay, but if it's not, because I think by doing that, it also humanizes you and creates that level of vulnerability to make people realize that, you know, this person who is still performing well, can all, I, we can feel the same way. And, you know, this is, I suppose this is more of a message for those people with that mindset. It's great to have that kind of positive mindset and be resilient, but it's also articulating how you've got to that point. It's sort of telling the story of what's, what got you to there. Because for example, there's going to be things, for example, in what's going on with a kind of economy at the moment and, and various things, but it's great that you've got that positive mindset, but don't be afraid to say, hey, look, the reason why I feel like this is because I've been through this like three or four times. And when I first experienced it, this is how I responded. And, and this is what I did to work on it. So it's almost like, you know, I hear this phrase a lot around my superpower is this, my superpower is that. It's almost like telling the prequel story of like the Peter Parker before he got bitten by, by a spider almost to, to humanize yourself yeah. and make someone realize that it's not this natural trait that they're never going to possess. Yes. So do you think it is powerful for people to identify their superpower and share that with their peers and their manager and, and things like that? I think it is, but it's also then explaining how you got there. Because going into okay. the kind of superpower analogy is that not all superheroes were born of it. They, they acquired it over time or a moment in their life. So yes, talking about a superpower, but still not just saying it's a superpower because I'm naturally good at this. Like you've, you've developed it at some point in your career or your life to get there so you know explain that as well as the end result of it yeah yeah and I guess the whole superpower thing is sort of recognizing what you're good at and that kind of self-belief and um you know I was recently saying to someone that I think you know there's three components to this it's self-belief I I can I can do that I can do well um I think product belief is important I you know what I'm actually selling is really solving a market uh, solving a pain in the market and adding value and the last bit is preparation right so how prepared am I every day to get into that mindset and to do well out of interest how would you rank those three of self-belief product belief and, and preparation you know to, to really create that successful mindset yeah I think I'd probably put self-belief first and I, well, I'd probably couple it with preparation because the more preparation you have, the more self-belief you have. It's great, of course, and obviously it's important believing in the product, but you are the vehicle for, for, for selling that product. And if you don't yeah. believe in yourself, then it doesn't matter how much you believe in the product, you're not going to do it justice um, in that. So I think self-belief is, is crucial there and that kind of self-esteem to be able to build that up because I think so often in, in sales, we are our own biggest critic, but we're never our biggest fan. And yeah. it's great getting external recognition. But one of the things and one of the main reasons that leads to burnout often is that lack of self-recognition. You know, if you're not giving it to yourself, then when someone else gives it to you, A, you probably won't believe it, or B, it will feel good at the time, but it will dissipate. And then you'll go back into that kind of like, Every, every sort of situation is a win or a loss. It's like a knockout game. You're constantly feeling like you have to prove yourself because you you haven't got really any evidence that you're giving yourself as to a, what a good job you're doing. Yeah, yeah. I So balancing that biggest critic versus biggest fan, 
how do you strike the right balance? Because I think that can can be difficult, and I'm sure it is for for some of the people that are listening. Yeah, I think the biggest critic is a natural thing. So I don't, you know, it's what comes naturally to us most of the time. So the biggest fan is something that maybe you need to be more intentional about. And this isn't about, you know, blowing your own trumpet and shouting about how amazing you are to everyone. It's about talking to yourself about it. So some really simple ways, like one thing I still do every week on a Friday is a weekly wins. Mm. So 10 or 15 minutes of what have I done well this week? What are my wins? Not what's happened, because I'll often, that'll be things I haven't controlled. But what have I done from a personal perspective, as well as a a work perspective, you know, it might be, I made this much outbound, I've created this many opportunities this week, or I managed to get out for a walk like three or four times this week. So like the kind of full collection there and just kind of reminding yourself, one thing I always say is that kindness doesn't equal complacency. So being kind to yourself and giving yourself credit isn't saying that you're going to take your foot off the gas or that you're going to get complacent, but it is necessary because if you don't, it's like climbing up a mountain and never sort of turning around to appreciate the view. You're constantly going to feel like you're never there yet. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I really like that. Kindness doesn't equal complacency. Um, I've just made a note of that because I think it's important. And, you know, I'm curious to hear your views on this because there's a lot of negativity going around right now um, about, you know, at least for me, a lot of people on my LinkedIn newsfeed are talking about layoffs, redundancies upcoming recession you know oh I was expecting to buy a house and now I can't there's a lot that's going on and a lot of that is external um and so I think it's natural that some people are going to fall into a bit of a slump and there's some of that stuff which is what's in our control and there's some of that stuff that's not in our control um for the external factors um in in the market what would you recommend to people who are getting into sales or who are early on in their career in sales about trying to still maintain motivated and positive despite those those external challenges that, that we're seeing? Yeah, I think there's a few things to unpack there. I think, first of all, I, this is a, I, it wasn't a direct question, but a common question I get asked is, how do I stay motivated? And the answer is you don't. It's not possible to stay motivated. It's a bit like that kind of surfer mentality. And this expectation that we should be able to means that when we're not, we're almost judging ourselves for it. We're like, oh, why am I not motivated today? Why am I not feeling it? Is you're a human being. Like you can't just wake up motivated. You've been asleep for eight hours. You need to create. And we almost feel like we need motivation to act, but action can often create motivation. Just like going to the gym. You don't always feel like it. You go and you feel motivated as a result of it. Yeah. Um, But what a lot of people forget is like aspiration and inspiration before motivation so aspiration is like that mountaintop of where you want to get to inspiration is the footpath and motivation is the well why do i want to climb it in the first place but if you don't have that aspiration the mountaintop and the footpath then that's naturally why you're going to feel like some days i'm not motivated because who's motivated to go and call 50 strangers like just that task itself if you're not thinking about what it's going to go and get you no one so it's very natural to feel like that because you're not really thinking about the bigger picture of what you're actually doing it for as well. So I think that's one thing of like getting clear on on what's the reason behind it. Like, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about working towards? And then secondly is, is being really clear on what you can and can't control. And even sometimes when you get yourself into a situation where maybe you're thinking about a deal or your target overall is just getting a bit of paper and writing down one column controllable, the other column uncontrollable, just going, what can I control? What can't I control? 
yeah. maybe in the middle what I can influence in there and just ask yourself, where am I spending my time and my energy? Because, you know, you, you'll notice already I use a lot of analogies and sayings, but the sooner you accept a wall as a wall, the less time and energy you spend trying to push it over. Yeah. And the more you try and work around how you can get over it or around it. Yeah. And, you know, energy is one of our biggest things. I was talking about this today, actually, energy management is is so important when it comes to this. We talk a lot about time management, but the old adage is time is money, but more importantly, time is energy. Yeah. And like energy is your biggest currency. And yeah. it's thinking about where you invest it every day that matters. Yeah. I, I think the wall the wall thing is interesting, right? Because I think in sales, um, I've seen, you know, some of that blame culture and it's, you know, oh, I can't hit my target because I don't have good data right um or i can't hit my target because um you know marketing haven't given me the right leads right those aren't walls but i think those are things that sometimes you know you see people kind of falling back on mm-hmm. because they're getting in the slump and because they're not performing and because they don't have this positive mindset so how do you differentiate i guess like is it that wall or is it something that is in your control because i think that's sort of important to to make that that differentiation yeah well i suppose that kind of links to limiting beliefs there you know if you're telling yourself i can't hit my target because of the data or because of marketing our brain is like a google search engine anything you type in it's coming back with evidence so if you do that guess what that's going to happen and you're going yeah. you're not you're not going to look for any solutions around it you're just going to look for that's the fact so what's the point of thinking anything different so a better way yeah. of doing that is asking a question of going well how can i hit my target without relying on this data or how can i hit my target outside of what marketing are doing like what more can i do within my control yeah because that takes it away from this sort of statement problem statement into a problem solving question as well yes. and and i suppose to challenge it is is thinking well that's not necessarily a wall, like that's an avenue, which maybe I that could benefit me. But just because there's not good data, it doesn't mean that that's going to stop me at all from being able to achieve this. Like what other avenues are there for me? Like yeah. the data that I can source in marketing, yeah. isn't their job to necessarily give me all the leads. Like why can't I go and find some by myself? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. I'm a big believer in the law of attraction, right? Which is what you were saying. Like, if you believe it and you're saying it, it's going to happen, right? Um, but but yeah. there's something that I used to do with teams, um, which was all about problem solving. So, you know, I think this is really good for kind of positivity. So let's say in a team meeting, someone is saying, um, you know, Chris, I'm really struggling to hit my target this quarter because it's the summer and it's really quiet right actually turning that problem into a how do I question so instead saying um, Chris how do I um, you know do more activity in the summer when it's quieter and everyone else in the room is only allowed to ask questions it also helps with sort of getting people to ask discovery questions but they're only allowed to ask questions and then someone is able to rephrase whether that is actually the problem So instead, that might not be the problem. The problem might actually end up being about how do I get access to better data? And then everyone comes with a solution. And the person who posed that problem actually can then go away having really thought about it and actually adapting that solution-orientated mindset, which I think is really important, you know, with some of the other pieces we've talked about as well. Definitely. Because when we we stay with statements, that's our primal brain driving and that's where those kind of, 
the amygdala and the irrational thoughts live. But to ask a question, we have to use the rational part of our brain. So it's a really yeah. good way if you find yourself in that kind of headspace to get yourself out of it is to ask yourself a question because you have to use the rational part of your brain to answer it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we talk, we touched on this slightly, um, which was motivation. And I love what you said. I wrote it down. When people ask you, how do you stay motivated? The answer is that you can't stay motivated, right? It's not, it's not something that's constant. Just, I guess, generally and sort of broadly, you do a lot of work with sales teams. How have you seen the motivation, if at all, change, um, you know, from the start of this year to kind of where we are now, which for a lot of companies is, is almost end of, end of financial year? Um, what have you seen? Any trends that, that are interesting to share? Uh, I think people are more mo- are becoming more um, aware or mindful of, of looking beyond just the money for motivation of actually what they want to do from it, but also almost creating this two-way exchange of what can they get from being at the business. Because you mentioned layoffs and redundancies earlier, and I think the problem that can sometimes occur is it can feel like it's a one-way street. It's almost like, oh, I've put so much time and energy into this job. And now they've just got rid of me. Like I've done all this for them. So I think what I've seen and what I encourage as well is thinking about, well, how do you make it a two-way exchange? How do you not just obviously get the commission and and the money from it? And first of all, like recognize what you want to do with it. But secondly, how do you learn while you're there? Like how do you advance yourself and your career so that if those kind of things do happen, you feel like, do you know what? It has been a two-way exchange. You know, yes, I've, I've lost my job, but I've got this. Or... If you then move on to somewhere else, you feel like, you know, I've, I've not just got the experience or the, the commission from it. I've got this, this and this from learning about it as well. So I've, I think I've seen people are encouraging people as well to like think more about don't just do the bare minimum. Think about like how you can learn while you're there, maximize the kind of people in the business, maximize the, the minds around you and think how do you advance your, your career and yourself and your brand for your own good, first of all, while you're there. Yeah, really interesting. So you touched on something there, which you said at the start that, you know, salespeople are sort of moving away from being motivated by money. And it's one of those stigmas, I think, that comes with being in sales, right? Sort of money focused and and um, and that's all that they really care about. What What do you think has caused that shift for people to move away from being money motivated and actually have sort of other and, and different motivations? I think just probably a realization that it's a bit of a cliche, but money can't buy happiness in a way. And that, um, you know, money will get you to a certain point, but you know, there was an really interesting study. I think Stephen Bartlett had it in his book, happy, sexy millionaire, where they, they interview people who were earning from 30,000 a year to like three to 30 million a year. And every single person said, I'd just be happy if I earn three times more than I do. Like every single person, whatever they were on, and it's that kind of like mindset of, you know, if you're constantly chasing something like that, you're never going to be content when you get there. You're never going to be happy. And I think there's that realization. I think secondly, with COVID and what's happened and people losing their jobs and so on, is that people have probably recognized actually there's there's more to life to live, to enjoy and to appreciate um, than just the money from it. So I think people are realizing, and it's not saying they're not motivated by money, but it, money isn't the driving force as much. It's it's the vehicle to get them somewhere to the, like the destination. Whereas the destination was money before, money is now the destination. 
but here's what I want to go and do with it. That's what's really driving me. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There's something behind that, right? Which is why I think it's so powerful. Um, I was interviewing uh, someone once and, and I said, you know, what, what, what's your biggest driver? And money was behind it. But actually what they said was, you know, we've just had a baby. We're really struggling with space in our small flat in London. We want to move out. We want to buy a house. And actually picturing that, I think is so much more powerful than just saying, I want to earn loads of commission this year. Because that I think that's what drives people is having, you know, an outcome or a goal. Um, so how important do you think it is to actually set some of those tangible goals for um, for sales teams, whether it's, you know, buying a house or whatever that might be? Um, how do you how do you work around that? I think first of all, yeah, goals are important, but it's it's also questioning what's the reason behind it. Because sometimes people can set goals because they think, well, that's the done thing. Everyone else is saying they want to buy a house or they want to get a car. So maybe that's what I need, but maybe it's not. So I'd really encourage people to think about, you know, rather than just going, I want to buy a house. Well, what's the reason you want to buy a house? Because I want to feel like this. Okay, well, what's the reason you want to feel like this? Like actually delving into it a bit more. But then not just setting those kind of big goals, but almost breaking them down rather than going, I want to buy a house and then almost going backwards and going, okay, so when do you want to buy the house by? Well, maybe a year. Okay, so by six months, what do you want to have achieved to be able to do that? And then by three months and then by one month. Because what you're trying to do here is get to the point of, well, what's the habit you need to create? I think there's there's an over-reliance and over-focus on goals, but not enough around habits and, and habits are that kind of, you know, the tangible things that we can control that lead us towards our goals. And and not enough time is almost spent on that. You know, even companies will set goals for the year and targets, but well, what are the new habits that you're going to do if you're going to get there? If you're going to double your target this year, what are the new habits you're going to introduce to help you achieve that? I love that. I love that actually going into the habit. So we'll have some managers that are listening to this. And I know you do a lot of work with sales leaders and sales managers. What role can they play in that habit creation piece of it to really get the most out of their teams? Yeah, I think it's it's that questioning structure. It's getting people to think about, okay, so what do you want to achieve this year? I want to achieve this and I, I want to achieve it because I want to do this. Okay, so what do you think you need to be doing each month? Well, I need to be doing this, this, and this. Okay, so what does that actually look like from a weekly basis within your control? What are one or two things do you think that you can do? that implement on a daily or weekly basis. So for example, someone might say a really broad one, like I want to, I want to better understand the industry or product that we work in. And then it's going, okay, well, that's a good goal, but what's the habit? Well, the habit is maybe it's, I want to at least once a week, speak to someone in the team and learn something, or I want to listen to a podcast a week about the industry. Okay. So that's something you can do. And then it's going, okay, what are your, I talk about this with energy management, what are your upper and lower boundaries for that? So what's the bare minimum you're going to do each week and what's the maximum you're going to do? Because that's the tangible thing that's going to get you towards it versus going, oh, I don't know enough about the industry yet is, I don't know enough about it yet, but here's what I'm doing to work on it. Yeah. Yeah. You've touched on something there about energy. So, um, you know, I only sort of figured this out last year about um, sort of my own personal energy, right? I've always mm-hmm. thought I'm an extrovert and, um, and you, you know, you know me quite well, Chris. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who meet me think I'm an extrovert, but actually I'm an extroverted introvert, which means that whilst I um, enjoy meeting people and socializing, all that sort of stuff, 
I actually get my energy from being alone and sort of, you know, really t- sort of taking time out. Yeah, an ambivert. Yeah, an ambivert. There we go. Um, and and that was a really interesting fr- uh, realization for me because it helped so much with my mindset and positivity. Like if I felt burnt out or tired at work, I wasn't really understanding why. And actually, I look back at it because I did three events that week on top of my, you know, day to day and kind of that sort of thing. And I realized I wasn't putting time into me. Um, what advice would you have for people who are trying to figure out their own energy levels um, so they can sort of manifest that? motivation and and mindset piece yeah I think I think first of all it's it's recognizing like how important it plays and thinking about like energy is a currency and if you imagine you're investing every single day like the stock market or imagining it like your energy is like your phone battery and some days you're going to wake up 70 percent some days you wake up 40 percent and the the different apps on your phone are like the tasks in your day of going well where am I investing it first of all am I investing it in things that are giving me a good return of it. Am I investing it in things that are just purely draining me, but not giving me anything back? Yeah. And then also, how am I recharging it? We're very reactive with this way. For example, if if it was like 2 p.m. on a Saturday, Shabri, and say you were going out with your friends that night and your phone was 25%, you'd probably charge it, wouldn't you? Because you know it's going to run out if you don't. But we often don't do that with our own energy. We wait until we like need a break or until we need a holiday or until the end of the day before we then think about doing it. And even that is quite reactive. So one thing I encourage people to think about is how do you create proactive pit stops? How do you create proactive energy recharges throughout your day, your week, to avoid that feeling of, oh, I I really need one. Because if you wait for your phone to die, it's gonna take longer to charge and it's not really gonna feel like it's done much. And it's the same of your own energy. So I think first of all, it's being mindful of how you're proactively recharging it. And then also recognizing where maybe your energy slumps are throughout the day and thinking about how do I preempt or prevent them as well? Like if I know I, I slow down after three, what can I do beforehand? Maybe getting some fresh air outside, maybe putting a playlist on, but also how do I avoid putting maybe my bigger tasks during that time and put them in times that I have more energy? You've blown my mind with this analogy. of the <laughs> You really have. My God, I loved all your analogies today, but that one's really blown your mind. And especially when you said, you know, you would charge your phone if you if you were going out 25%. And I just kind of think, yeah, how many times have I done something when I'm at 30%? And, you know, it, you've blown my mind, Chris. Um, so I, I loved that analogy. Um, so that's a bit about the, the energy. For people who are kind of early in sales and they're figuring out, what motivates them um so let's say we've got you know a young sdr team and they're trying to figure out what motivates them um how do you how would you recommend someone that they sort of learn more about themselves and and finding out those motivators yeah i think first of all don't rush it it's okay not to know don't feel pressurized you might feel like everyone around you's got it all figured out but trust me they probably haven't um you know, I, I didn't really know what my kind of aspiration or inspiration was probably about until two, three years ago um, when I started Sales Psyche. So it's not something to feel like you have to rush. And I think that's the first thing, because otherwise you can put too much pressure on yourself and almost be like, and that, that almost has the opposite effect and demotivates you because you haven't got something to motivate you. Yeah, I think it's probably the main focus should be motivated about finding what motivates you. So it's almost like seeking it as a challenge and going, if I'm in a role right now, I don't quite know what motivates me. That's okay. But what are some ways I can kind of find out? Like, can I speak to other people in the team? Can I speak to more senior people in the business? 
can I try and and learn about some other things within the business? Is there any extracurricular aspects to it or projects I can get involved in? And I think just going, it's like a taster menu. It's just going in and trying all these things. You might not know what your favorite food is yet. That's okay. But just go in and try all these different things. And and over time, something will will stick. And, and that in itself it can act as a motivator yeah. to, to sort of drive that curiosity. Yeah. I I agree, don't rush it. Um, I think people get asked that a lot in interviews, what motivates you? And I think people feel like they have to come up with something and it, and it has to be something that they, they stick to. Um, so I guess a question for you on that. Do you think motivations change? let's say from when you're 21 to, to 31 to 41, like how, how often, how much do you think they change if at all? Oh, massively. I think, you know, you've got, you've got extrinsic motivation, you've got intrinsic motivation. And I think initially a lot of people are extrinsically motivated. So, you know, by money, by targets, by yeah. paychecks, by a lot of those things. And the intrinsic motivation is all around your kind of development, the journey itself. Um, and, and it's very natural to feel like that. And, and that's okay. You know, life isn't linear. It's this kind of thing that can fluctuate and change um, and it's being okay. But then that's why it's important to constantly almost be reflecting and going, does that still motivate me? And if not, well, what's the next thing that does? And not judging yourself if it doesn't anymore, that's okay. Because I think that's what can cause people trouble is they, they think, right, this is my motivator and they don't really question it. And then maybe two or three years in like, oh, I'm just not fully motivated anymore. It's like, well, have you thought about what you initially were motivated by and and does if that's not exciting you or giving you that aspiration, then maybe it's time to explore what does. Yeah, absolutely. So does everyone have one intrinsic and one extrinsic? So for kind of our listeners, how would you break that down for them? I think the, the true goal is to try and get as many intrinsic motivations as possible because extrinsic is is useful, but it doesn't really, it can almost become an over-reliance on, you know, that's where that kind of external validation and you're doing it because of how it looks or yeah. for for the kind of fame or glory around it. Whereas the, the clearer you can become on the intrinsic motivators, the more you can recognize that, that self-reflection, that self-development, that piece of I'm focusing on the journey, not just the outcome. Yeah. You know, I'm appreciating the bike ride, not just thinking, where are we going to? And the more you can do that, the more you, you're more likely to see knockbacks and and, and challenges as an opportunity to learn and to grow versus this feeling of, oh, like this isn't my outcome. So I failed or I never want to do that again. Yes. Yeah. I, I love that because I've managed sales teams in the past where in interviews, they've said to me, you know, they're money motivated. And I remember this really clear example. So it was the end of the quarter and we were, we were below on a certain metric and I was sitting down with our global head of sales and he said, um, we should run a spiff. So tell everyone in the team that whoever hits this metric will give them each a thousand dollars extra. Um, and this was, you know, eight years ago. So a lot of money then, a lot of money today, frankly. Um, so I thought it was really exciting. I was really excited. I remember going into Friday wrap up with my team and saying, this is what we're doing a thousand dollars. And no one was that excited by it. Um, but I just thought, you know, Friday afternoon. Um, so two weeks went by and the metric hadn't changed at all no one had hit it and I remember sitting back in that room on Friday wrap-up and I asked my team I said what's going on you know this is really exciting you know how excited are you and it was just quite flat and turned out that they weren't really that 
excited by that end result. So I spoke to my head of sales and instead he said, I'll take anyone out for a really nice one-to-one lunch um, with anyone who hits that. And the results were literally night and day. And actually what they were really excited about was that opportunity to have a one-to-one lunch with a key stakeholder, someone that they could talk to their career about, someone that they could get to know. And that kind of visibility was so much more motivating than a thousand dollars. And that that story is is so powerful to me because I think I made the mistake, which I think some managers do, of assuming what your team are motivated by. Mm. We hear it all the time, you know, you can win some AirPods, you can win an Amazon voucher. It's like, well, actually, is that what your team really, really want? Um, so what advice would you have for managers who are struggling, you, you know, new into management and struggling to motivate their team? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, going back to motivation, no one person can motivate another person. It's not possible. I can't motivate you. You can't motivate me. You can inspire me, but you can't motivate me. Motivation is an inside job. You can create an environment that can motivate me, but you can't motivate me. You you can inspire me with like stories of how I can get there. Yeah. And I think that's the first of all, like the key thing is going like put, taking the pressure off and making it more real of, I can't motivate you. I can inspire you. And the danger of almost thinking, convincing yourself you can motivate your team or that they need you to feel motivated is, well, that's very dangerous because that isn't scalable. Yeah. Secondly, that person's always going to think, well, I need Shabri to, to have a good day. And what happens if Shabri's on holiday? What happens if she gets promoted? What happens if she leaves? Then I'm screwed. And it doesn't create that kind of level of um, empowerment or belief and what we were talking about earlier on. So I think that's a really important thing for managers to articulate to teams. I'm not here to motivate you. I'm here to inspire. I'm here to create an environment you can feel motivated in. And I can give you the, the tools and the coaching and the support for it but it comes down to you. But what the manager can do is help someone recognize more what is that motivation. So even in an interview, if someone's saying I'm money motivated, great, okay, if you had that money, what would it? What would you do with it? Like, what's the reason your money motivated? Well, you know, I want to be able to buy a house or I want to be able to buy new clothes. It's, well, what's the reason you want to buy a house? Oh, when I was a kid, I didn't have one. Like we didn't have a, we didn't have a house. We grew up in council house, for example. So what's the reason of having a house? It'll give me a sense of pride and, and security. Okay, right. Now I know what your motivation is. It's not money. It's that feeling of security and pride. So that's also going to probably give me an idea of how you want to be, um, you know, if I'm giving you sort of feedback and so on, that's probably a big thing that maybe you, that person's going to benefit from is, is giving them that sense of like security and pride and like shouting them out in that way. I love that. That's so powerful. That example that you just kind of walked through. And I think a lot of people stop at the surface level. Okay, you're money motivated or, you know, even maybe one step further. Okay, you want to buy a house, but why? And actually yeah. realize it's quite similar to when you're uncovering a pain point with a with a prospect, right? You know, yep. um, if someone says, oh, you know, I'm looking for a, a data tool because, um, you know, we don't have bad data, but what's actually the impact of that? of that pain so actually it's a very similar process um I love that Um, yeah and just to jump in there I think it's so ironic and I see it all the time that sales managers will always encourage their teams to ask better questions and to delve in but they don't take their own medicine (laughs) when they're speaking to their teams about it they will be very surface level or open and closed questions and it's thinking if if my team was a prospect like would that question would I stop at that question probably not like I'd, I'd want to delve into it so it's having that same mindset 
Yeah. Yeah. I love that. You're right. It's we've got to practice what we preach. Um, but I'm sure for everyone that's, that's listened um, to this, they're going to take so much away. I mean, I've personally scribbled down pages and pages of notes and um, your analogies have been a, a personal favorite of mine. Um, so before we go, um, what advice would you give to um, any salesperson that they can really start to do today that's going to have a material impact on, on their overall happiness and um, ultimately their, their career? Yeah, I think the first thing is reminding yourself that that it, you're not going to always be motivated. You're not always going to be in a in a good headspace. You're not always going to feel positive. That's okay. It's not getting to the point where you don't feel like that. It's recognizing when you do and being able to bring yourself back. Yeah. I started boxing a couple of years ago, and my coach said to me, "No matter how hard you train, you're still going to get punched in the head." <laughs> so it's not about stopping those punches. It's knowing what to do when they happen. Yeah, we have this mindset almost with when it comes to mindset and mental health that. Oh, do you know what? I was feeling so good last week. I was feeling really positive. Why am I back to feeling this way? And why am I feeling like this? It's not this linear line. It's almost like you're on a roundabout of emotions and certain so, you're going round on things. You haven't gone backwards. Yeah. And it's not beating yourself up about it. And when you are in that mindset, it's asking yourself those questions that we talked about earlier on. It's disrupting that kind of irrational part of your primal brain and bringing yourself back to a, a logical step. Yeah, that's an amazing takeaway. And I'm sure people have taken away a lot more from that. I'm sure people can start to do the controllables and non-controllables list. And there's just so much that I'm sure people um, can really, really take away from here. Um, so I'm sure people are going to want to um, reach out to you, Chris, after this. So if they have any questions or they want to learn how um, you might be able to help them and their team, um, what's the best place to, um, where's the best place to find you and how best to contact you? Yeah, um, Chris Hatfield on LinkedIn, not Hadfield, the famous astronaut who does come up on a Google search before me still at the moment. Um, Sales Psyche, which is P-S-Y-C-H-E.co.uk and also TikTok and Instagram, Hey Psyche How, if you want a bit more of the, the kind of video material as well. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Um, I've personally taken away loads, for, so thank you so much for sharing your insights. It's been great to have you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.